0: Open your Bibles to Second uh, Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 17 this morning, a passage about the Bible itself about the Word of God. We've been making our way through the book of Second Timothy in a series. and I think we've been there for a couple months now already. Verse 14, chapter 3, Second Timothy. work father we thank you for our Bible God we, uh, we pray father that we might stand under it God has yielded to it God whatever it says God we, we want to obey it we believe it we want to act upon it God we know it's dependable for all things God we know that it, if we're going to accomplish our mission as as Christians, as a church, God, we know that we must be people of the book. So I pray, Father, that you would move us to pour ourselves into the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, hold it up. I want to, I want you to, to think for a second what you have in your hands. Um, I wonder if we have the ability to rightly value what we hold. William Tyndale was a man who was instrumental in bringing us the Bible in the English language. The Bible was written in Greek and Hebrew and uh, in the 1500s was being translated by Tyndale and some others into English. A lot of people were violently opposed to that. Let me read you a, a quote from a biography on William Tyndale by John Piper. As you hold your Bible in your hand, I I want you just to soak up what was given that you might have it. He watched a rising tide of persecution and felt the pain of seeing young men burned alive who were converted by reading his translation and his books. His closest friend, John Frith, was arrested in London, tried by Thomas More and burned alive on July 4th, 1531, at the age of 28. Richard Bayfield ran the ships that took Tyndall's books to England. He was betrayed and arrested, and Thomas More wrote on December 4th, 1531, that Bayfield, the monk and apostate, was well and worthily burned in Smithfield. Thomas More was the biggest opposition to the Bible in the English language. Three weeks later, the same end came to John Tewksbury. He was converted by reading Tyndall's parable of the wicked mammon, which defended justification by faith alone. He was whipped in Thomas More's garden had his brow squeezed with small ropes until blood came out of his eyes. Then he was sent to the tower where he was racked until he was lame. Then at last they burned him alive. Thomas More rejoiced that his victim was now in hell, where Tyndall is like to find him when, he come, when they come together. That's a quote from him. Four months later, John Bainham followed in the flames in April of 1532. He had stood up during the Mass at St. Augustine's Church in London and lifted a copy of Tyndall's New Testament. And pleaded with the people to die rather than deny the word of God. That virtually was to sign his own death warrant. Add to these Thomas Bilney, Thomas Dusgate, John Bent, Thomas Harding, Andrew Hewitt, Elizabeth Barton and others. All burned alive for sharing the views of William Tyndall about the scriptures. It is difficult for me as I look at my own life, as I look at being an American Christian... It's difficult for me to read that. got choked up in the 830 service. It's hard for me to continue. And the reason is, is because none of us are dying to read the Bible. None of us are being burned at the stake. None of us are being put on the rack. None of us are leaving our kids, our families behind. In fact, I would dare say that the biggest issue on our plate today, and that. This is just sorrowfully embarrassing. The biggest issue on our plate today is whether we'll give up 30 minutes of TV time to open up one of many Bibles we have in our home and read it. Maybe the biggest issue today for us is instead of checking Facebook 20 times a day, we only check at 10 and we'll look at the Bible the other 10 Friends, I'm not sure. I'm just not sure what to even think of that. I'm not pointing you. I'm saying us, America. That's our issue. Our issue is that small. Now, why, why is this such a big deal? Why is that heavy and grave and sober? Well, it is because in verse 16, we read this. All scripture is breathed out by God. Did you hear that? All Scripture is breathed out by God. What exactly does that mean? What that means is God is the creating force behind the Scriptures. God orchestrated and controlled the process by which the Scriptures were brought into being so that what you have in your lap this morning is the literal words of God into your life. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 says this, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy has ever been produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along, as they were moved, as they were filled by the Holy Spirit of God. You see, there are an abundance of people today who will tell you that parts of this are not the Word of God. That this is incomplete. That we, we stand over it. That drives me crazy. I didn't even read it today, but I saw on the news uh, this past week some kind of junk about new findings that Jesus had a wife. Something written on a gunny sack. Just some ridiculous thing. Okay? And it, and it burns me because the Bible is very clear about itself. Okay? Now listen, Jeremiah 1, nine, very clear passage. God tells Jeremiah, behold, I have put my word in your mouth. That's the process by which God has brought about the Scriptures to us. God has mixed together. God has taken human human beings, men, and and He has moved them and He has used their personality and their, their mind and their emotions and He has brought forth from that His very Word. The Bible describes this book as His Word, protected by Him, brought to us by the blood of great men who sacrificed that you might have it. And friends... That means this book is the authority for my life. We don't stand above it. We, we stand under it. Okay? We, we stand understanding that, that, that the God, the maker of the universe, my creator, the one who sustains and holds every atom and molecule in its place, the one who keeps me alive and breathing at this very moment, the one who will one day call me to my appointment with death and usher me out of this world, the one who will stand in judgment over every minute of my life, the one who is my savior, who paid the penalty of my sins, who owns my life, who is the resurrection and the life. This is his book and his authority and his truth into my life. And I I should submit myself to it. I should not read through this book and find something that I don't like or I disagree with or find something that that just kind of rubs me the wrong way or I don't really want to do it. I should not take my pen and X that out. Now, I know a lot of people wouldn't do that with a pen, but that's exactly what they do with 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 their will. You know, they will read something in the scriptures, they'll read something about marriage or about divorce or about about um, husbands or wives or parents or children or, or, or about the Ten Commandments or or, or about business or about um, honesty or integrity. And they will simply exit out as if they were the authority over the Bible, as if they were able to say, well, God, I'll take this, but I reject that. Friends, we are not in authority over this book. It is in complete authority over us. Charles Spurgeon pointed out that to reject the word of God, to, to accept one word of God and reject another is not faith in God. It's faith in us. I mean, whenever you stand above the Bible saying, I'm going to take this, I'm going to reject that. Basically, you are placing yourself in the position of God. You're saying, God, I'm going to judge you. I'm going to judge your book. I'm going to judge. Now, I'm not saying we don't interpret the Bible. Obviously, we need to interpret the Bible. Obviously, we need to take great pains in right interpretation and and in understanding the cultural context of the text and, and working hard to understand the words. Yes, yes, yes. But friends, what I'm saying is we stand under the Bible. It is our authority in all practice and works. It's the authority of this church. Let me tell you what's most convincing to me. You know, we could spend 10 sermons, literally 10 sermons, talking about the the fulfilled prophecy... In the Bible that's one great evidence of, of the truthfulness of the Bible is the fulfilled prophecies all the way through from Genesis to revelation we could talk about the thousands of manuscripts that agree with one another down to a word just an amazing thing no other ancient documents that, that, that have been around for even a, a third as long have anywhere near the record the bible does for accuracy we could talk about the canonization process we could talk about all this but let me let me just let me just focus on one thing for you and the one thing I want to focus on is what Jesus said about the scriptures. Now, why is that so important to me? Because I think if you line up a thousand guys, okay, and they've all got a different opinion about the Bible and they've all got a different opinion about, the, uh, uh, about life, here's what I say. I say the guy that raises from the dead and ascends into heaven... I'm listening to that guy, okay? That's the one I'm going to listen to. That's the one I say, you know what? I think I'll take his opinion, okay? What did Jesus say about the scriptures? Well, in Matthew chapter 22, we find a very interesting passage. It is to me anyway. And it's a passage about the resurrection, actually. Jesus is teaching the resurrection. He's got these guys named the Sadducees, they're a religious group, and they're they're mocking Jesus because of the resurrection. And here's basically what they say. They're like, oh, Jesus, you think there's a resurrection? Well, how about this scenario? They're thinking, well, okay, if we're, if, if the saints are going to the new heavens and the new earth you know they're going to live forever well what about this verse 25 there were seven brothers among us the first married and died having no children left his wife to his brother so too the second the third down to the seventh after them all the woman died and the resurrection therefore of the seven whose wife will she be for they had they all had her okay so, so here's their great argument their great argument against the resurrection is hey what are you going to do about these folks that have more than one spouse I mean who's going to be their spouse in the resurrection and they, and they get this hypothetical situation or maybe it was a real one I don't know about, about this lady who marries a guy and he dies so she marries his brother and he dies marries his brother and he dies all the way down fourth, fifth, sixth don't you think if you were the seventh one you'd have been a little nervous about that you know I mean don't eat the pot roast man it's a bad deal but anyway, seventh guy, he he takes her, he dies, and they're like, all right, Jesus, you know, how are you going to fix that in a resurrection? Okay, here's what Jesus says. Here's his answer. He says, you're wrong. You don't, you don't, you neither know the scriptures. Okay, so what's Jesus doing? Immediately, Jesus himself is going back to the scriptures, okay, nor the power of God for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are like angels of heaven and as for the resurrection of the dead have you not read what does Jesus the son of God do he says haven't you read Exodus okay he goes back to Exodus Exodus chapter 3 verse 6 I believe and he says haven't you read what, what was said to you by God again what did Jesus say about Exodus he says God spoke that God's the writer of Exodus, okay? Yeah, I know Moses wrote it, but he said, God inspired Moses. Those are the words of God. And here's what he says, verse 32. He says, don't you remember what's written in Exodus? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Now, the interesting thing about Jesus' argument there, if you'll notice, is his argument rests upon the verb tense in that passage, okay? In other words, he says, don't you realize God did not say, I was the God of Abraham, Okay, as if Abraham's gone and dead. I was the God of Jacob. As if Jacob's gone and dead. I was, no, you know what God says? I am the God. In other words, they're still alive. They're alive and well. Their souls are with with, with Christ. I mean, that's the the point of this. Now listen, if Jesus thought authoritatively that the book of Exodus, the very words in it, the very verb tenses in Exodus, were authoritative enough to build his argument about the resurrection, it's good enough for me. Does that make sense? I mean, if Jesus says, man, that word is inspired. That's the word of God. Down to the very verb tense is the word of God. In Matthew chapter uh, 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. Here's what Jesus says. He says, Do you not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets? I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it's accomplished. What he's talking about there is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet, which is a yod. Okay, it's called a yod. It's a little little kind of curvy deal. Okay, and then he's talking about, the other thing he's talking about is, is the, the little marking that distinguishes a he from a hay. He. In Hebrew, you got guttural, so you get a kh flim it up, you know, but, but there's a hay and a hay and and, and they're both very similar. And it's the marking that distinguishes the two of them, if I remember right. So what's Jesus talking about? He's talking about two small marks. He says, you know what? I think about the old Testament, Genesis through Malachi. I'm telling you guys, not one mark on it, not a dot on an eye is not going to be fulfilled. Jesus said the old Testament scripture. Friends, that's, I tell you, that's authoritative for me. I mean, I, I mean, it just that wins the case for me. And so when I hear these folks talking about Jonah and the whale and saying, you know what, that's all just a silly story. Nobody can be swallowed by a whale and live for three days and three nights and then spit up on the ground and go, go preach. In but you know what I think? I think Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, he said, listen, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the bow of the whale, so the Son of Man will be... I mean, he refers to the story of Jonah. Listen, I don't think Jesus is wrong about that. I don't think the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, I don't think he is confused about the Scripture. I think it's very possible we could be confused, but I don't think he's confused. And so when when I go to the Bible, I accept the testimony of Jesus Christ. And what that means is this book from Genesis to Revelation is the authority for my life. Now, let's play that out a little bit. What does that mean? That means when God speaks from this book, I'm not at liberty to say, nah. Okay? I mean, would you do that? Would you do that if God just spoke to you, you know? You're out in your garden. You're hoeing. Bright light from heaven. Boom! You know, blinds you. You're knocked to the dirt. You're writhing on the ground, you know? And a voice comes from heaven and says, I am God Almighty and speaks into your life. Who's going to look up into the blinding light and say, No, I don't think so, you know? You're not going to do that. But you know what? People all the time will read the Scriptures... And they'll, they'll read the, the voice of God given to us and they'll say, nah. I don't think you would ignore it. Again, you're out in your garden, voice from heaven, blinding light. You're down on the ground, writhing on the ground. How many of you, as God Almighty speaks to you, are going to say, No, not now, God. You know, CSI starting just, just later. You know, I mean, how many are going to do that? Nobody's going to do that. But you know what? All the time, people neglect the Word of God. Folks, it's the authority of our life. I tell you what, Jeff Squibb had a men's breakfast uh, a couple weeks ago and had a bunch of quotes on there. And uh, I'm surprised. I I thought I'd read everything John Piper had ever written, but he found a John Piper quote I'd never heard. And it's this one. And and it's about prayerlessness, but I'm going to apply it to the Scriptures. He says, one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. You know, I mean, we all want to say the reason we don't read the Scriptures is why. We don't have time. Well, let me tell you, we could have Teresa pull it up right now. We've got the capability to do this, and we could pull it up right now. We could pull up social media, and we could just go down the line, and we could say, aha, you know, two hours last night, you had some time, you know. Uh, 3.01 on Monday, you're supposed to be at work, you know. I mean, we could could nail that dude down that, you know what, we're probably, the case is not that we're not reading the Scriptures because we don't have time. Probably what it is, is that we have not accepted the Scriptures as the authority for our lives. Another thing that tells us that the Scriptures are God-breathed and that the Bible is dependable. What does that mean? That means I can trust it. It will not lead me astray. This is the Word of God. And so when it tells me to do something hard when it tells me to do something, and man, doesn't this happen, that is against my flesh, that is against my sinful nature, that I don't want to do it and and I want to go the other way, but when the Bible speaks to me, I can completely and wholeheartedly know the Bible is dependable. I I don't have to question, I I don't have to think, is this going to be bad for my life? It's not going to be bad for my life. The Bible is dependable in that it will never lead us astray. It will never trick us. It will never deceive us. It will never lead us into, into The bad things, it will always be good for our souls and our lives and it will always produce results. The wonderful thing about the scriptures is that they are living. We're going to look at that several times here. Hebrews chapter 4 says the Bible is a living. It's a living word. What does that mean? It means when the word impacts your life, it produces things. What does it produce? Look at verse 15. It says from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred script writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What do the sacred writings do? They make us wise for faith in Christ Jesus for salvation. The Bible says that it itself, the words of the scriptures bring about salvation because the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the story of Jesus. It reveals to us the glory of God. It reveals to us the truths of God. It reveals to us the majesty and the power and the love and the grace of God. It's interesting to me that when Jesus is on the Emmaus road after he's risen from the dead and he's talking to his disciples, do you remember what they said about that? They said he explained to them the things concerning himself. The New Testament had not yet been written. So we know they were talking about the Old Testament. And so Jesus went through and explained how the Old Testament was about him. I mean, it's all about Christ. And and so the Bible says that that the words of the scriptures bring about regeneration. They bring about the new birth. In First Peter chapter 1 verse 20. um, Where is it? 23 since you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of god is that not amazing the word of god brings about salvation it brings about regeneration it brings about new birth jesus told a parable about the soils remember they represent the heart when a heart is cultivated and ready to receive the word of god it will come into a man and it will change him fundamentally forever and ever it will bring about new life New birth, regeneration. That comes about through the word of God. Now you know, you know the, the big application for me as I read that? I'll tell you, I'll tell you just how it hit me. Man, I am compelled to speak God's truth to my kids. Okay? There's a lot of things I could tell my kids that are true, you know? I mean, you know, Look both ways before you cross the street. Don't eat yellow snow. I mean, there's all kinds of wisdom, right, that I could give my kids. And you're doing that. You know, brush your teeth in the morning and, and you know, all kinds of stuff like that. That's good. Please keep doing that. Please give them words of wisdom. Tell them about business. stuff. But listen, do not neglect to give your kids this. It's got to be this. Why? Because this is living. This brings about the the, the new birth in a person. It transforms us in a way that no other word does. Look at Timothy. Let's look at this guy as as, as an example of that. Here in chapter 3, verse 15, he says, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy knew the Bible from a little kid. How did he know the Bible? From, 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 from From childhood. Well, Well, if you go back to chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, in verse 5, it says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you. Who taught Timothy the Scriptures? His mom and his grandma. We know from other places in the Bible that Timothy did not have a believing dad. His dad was a Greek. He was a lost guy. But you know what? He had a mom and a grandma who were wise enough to take up the slack and say, you know what? Hell or high water, I've got to put the word of God in my kid. And so so from the time Timothy was a little boy, they were sowing God's word. They were teaching him truths. They were teaching him about God. They were teaching him the scripture. They were helping him memorize. They, they, they were investing the word of God in his life. Why? Because they loved him. Because they wanted him to know God, to be in the family of God, to be safe in the wrath of God, to walk in the new heavens and the new earth, to be forgiven of his sins, to do great things for God, to have victory over his sinful life. All of those things, yes, so they taught in the Scriptures. And friends, if we've got to be about one thing, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, you've got to invest God's Word in your kids. Make it happen. How do you do it? Any way you want to. Read the Bible to them. Memorize a verse and speak it. Show them, help them read it. Teach him to read in the Bible. Memorize scripture. I know the big, the whole memorizing scripture deal. I hear it all the time. I can't memorize. You can. Let me show you. If you know, if you know this, just, just pick it up and start, start saying it with me. Okay. Out loud. Ready? May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another that in accord with Christ. Okay. How did you memorize that? How? How? Because you said it one time a week. If you're here every Sunday, then you said it one time a week, every every week. Okay, not not many people are here every single Sunday, you know. So so more than likely, many of you have learned that by saying it once a week, maybe three, maybe four Sundays a month, and you memorize that two or three verses there. How easy is that? So now, as a parent, what do you get the opportunity to do? We got a Cheerios verse, right? All right, we're pouring our Cheerios. What's our Cheerios verse? You know, well, Psalm sixty-three because your steadfast love this is greater. You know, all right, what's our backpack verse? What's our on the way to school? Man, I, I've been doing that with my kids since they were little. We've got a set of verses that we memorize on the way to school. We say them every year. My kids have been. Addie's been saying those for gosh, twelve, thirteen years. At the beginning of the school year, um. We were doing that, and, and I just recognized I had to change it up a little bit, you know, because we were going to school, and I was like, all right, Psalm sixty-three, three, because your steadfast love is better than life, so my lives will pray. you know. I mean, they're just bored to death, you know, and so, so I, I, I mean, I got to change this up. So, and I'm again, do whatever you want, you know. I mean, I'm it's not like I read this stuff in a book. I'm just on the fly thinking, what can I do to spice this up a bit? So here's my idea. They really love this. Now I paraphrase one of those verses. You know, I just I, just in some kind of my own language, and then they've got the first one that fi- that figures it out what I'm saying. They got to say the actual verse. I did this in in the eight thirty service. My whole family here was here. They were sitting right up here. I said, "All right, kids, you're on." And so I, I, I paraphrased uh, Proverbs thirteen twenty, and so I said something like. Uh, don't be a person that hangs around with a bunch of punks because all that's going to happen is you're going to be. I, I got to punks. I literally got to punks. And Avery says, you know, whoever walks with the wise will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs 30 20. You know, she beats them all. You know, my nine year old wins it, you know. And uh, they love it. I mean, they, it's kind of a competition thing. Catechism, what, whatever. He, my dad always told me this. And it's good advice. Do something. Do something. You know, I mean, some people, you know, they don't know what to do. So no, just do something. You know, pick it up. Jesus wept, kids. Okay, that's something. All right, let's build on that. Do something. Why? Because the Word of God produces salvation. Amen? It reveals to us Jesus. What else does the Word of God do? Well, it grows your faith. Look at Romans 10. Romans 10 is just a great... Well, that's, what, that's what I call the mechanics of faith. All right? We'll start in verse 13. And you've got to be able to reason backwards, okay? Because these are backwards, okay? So we're going from end to, to start. So Romans eight thir- or 10, 13 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, okay? So what is calling on the name of the Lord? It is, it is taking a step of faith, right? You're calling the name of the Lord. So there's the response of faith. You've got a person that's responding in faith, okay? So for salvation, it means calling the name of the Lord. For other things, it might be forgiving your enemy. It might be uh, showing gentleness. It might be loving your wife as Christ loved the church. But it's a response of faith, okay? So where does that come from? Well, look at verse 14. For how are they to call in him whom whom they have not believed? Okay? So you're never going to call, you're never going to respond in faith until you believe, until you are convinced internally of faith. God's truth, okay? But how are you going to believe? Well, let's keep reading. How are they to believe in whom they have never heard? Okay? You're never going to believe and you're never going to call unless you first hear. Okay, How are you going to hear? And the, who, how, how are, are they going to hear without someone preaching? Someone communicates the Word of God to you. So here you have a process by which faith happens. And it happens by hearing the Word of God, believing the Word of God, and acting upon the Word of God. That's the way faith happens. It happens that way in anything. Let's okay? you know, say you're angry at your brother. you are You got a grudge. You're unforgiving. And you open up your Bible and you hear Jesus' Word Words that says forgive you know your enemy as as I have forgiven you. You, you you hear some kind of passage on forgiveness and what do you do you embrace that word and, and you believe it and then you act upon it I mean that's the way faith always happens and so faith comes from the word of God it comes from the word of God being spoken into our life whether you're reading it or hearing it or it's being preached to you or your friend is is is, is Speaking it into your life. The faith grows through the word of God. Faith, or, or The word of God brings joy. Man, this is an exciting one. John 15, 11. Listen to this. It says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus said he spoke his word to us, that we might have joy. Listen to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, verse 8 says, The precepts of the Lord, that's another way of talking about the word of the Lord, are right. Rejoicing the heart. Verse 10 says, They are more to be desired than gold. Even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Friends, I can tell you from experience, the Word of God brings joy into your life. It brings joy. As you embrace it and believe it, as God begins to chisel you and work in you, the Word of God brings great joy in your life. Okay, It is authoritative. It is dependable. It produces salvation. It produces joy. The Bible says it is profitable. Notice in verse some. Um, 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. In other words, it profits you. It does you good. It is useful. It does practical things in your life, okay? The Bible is meant by, but to be used by you, okay? I think this is one of the reasons that many people don't get into their Bible is because they don't use their Bible, okay? They may try to read it. They may try to think, well, that's all it is. I just got to read it. No, the Bible is meant for you to be grabbed onto and for you to use it. Use it in your own life. It's meant for you to hear it, to believe it, to use it in your life. Use it in your life to bring comfort. Use it in your life to bring encouragement. Use it in your life when you're depressed. Use it when you're, you're sad. Use it when you're discouraged. Use it when you're confused. Use the Word of God in your life. And then as you begin to, 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 to allow the word to transform you, now you begin to use it in other people's lives. Notice where Paul is going with this to Timothy. He says, all scriptures breathe breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Okay? You know what he's telling Timothy? He's telling Timothy, you've got to use the scriptures, Timothy. You've got to use them. Listen, you're never going to get proficient at anything unless you use it. Pastor Chris has a program on his computer. I think it's called Final Cut, isn't it? Isn't that what you do all those videos on? After Effects. I don't even know what it's called. Okay? But he's got this program on his computer. You all know all the cool videos Pastor Chris does, all right? Well, part of that is he's got this computer program, you know, on his computer. Now, now here's the deal. I have no idea. I didn't even know what it was called, you know? I didn't even know what it was called. But for, for me to become proficient at it here's what would have to happen he'd have to put it on my computer first of all i'd have to have it okay and then then you know what i'd probably do next i'd probably like read the manual on it and i'm convinced if i read the manual i'd probably be able to turn it on okay so i would be able to turn it on all right then you know what's got to happen next though if i'm ever to be proficient at it pastor chris tell you this is true i've got to sit down and use it i just got to sit down and try right at first i want to be like chris i don't know what. To, show me what do i click on you know some of you guys, you're familiar with this, right? When it happens with you. I don't know to click on. he like, all right, you click on this. You do this. You know. He'd go back in his office. Chris, you know, come in here. You know, I would, I'd, I'd, I, you know pretty soon I'd be able to do this. And then I'd, I'd keep working. I'd be, you know, and, and maybe someday I'd be able to put together maybe a little video. But I'd have to use it. Same thing with the Word of God. I mean, you've got to use it. You've you got to take God's word and you, you've got to use it. You've got to use it. No, no, notice what he says here. Reproof. You know what the word of God does? It reproves. What does it mean to reprove? It stops us in our tracks, okay? You have been reproved by the word of God? You've been going one way in your life. You think you're fine. Man, the word of God just comes and it stings you. You ever been stung, you know? Man, I felt like my arms were slashed off before by the word of God, you know? It cuts deep. And, and like, oh man, I am sinning against God. I, I'm, I'm in the wrong. I'm not living right. And it reproves you. What's the next thing it says there? For correction. It doesn't just stop you. You know what it does? It turns you around. It says, no, 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 this way. And then what else? It trains you in righteousness. It helps you begin to walk this way. And pretty soon you're, you're jogging and pretty soon you're, you're sprinting. Okay? That, that, that's what the Word of God does. It is to be used. And when you begin to use the word of God, notice this, notice this, verse 17, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. That the man of God may be competent. Here's, ladies, you may not know this about men. Men hate more than anything looking silly. Okay? Men do not like to do things they're not good at. It's the reason I don't play golf. I don't play golf because I'm not good at it. And I just look silly. And I lose all my balls and the guys have to wait on me and I feel like a a dork, you know. So what do I do? I don't play. I find something else to do, something that I can at least keep up with everybody in, you know. In spiritual life, it's exactly the same. You know why a lot of guys don't want to pray in public, pray with their families? They don't want to look silly. They're not sure how to do this right, how to do this well. So they just don't do it. I mean, and talking to a lot of guys, that that's it. They, they, they don't want to leave their family spiritually because they they're not sure what I'm supposed to do. Now, now is it that they don't know how to pray at all? No, is it that they're praying sinfully? No, you know. I mean, there there are some wrong ways to pray, right? I mean, you don't want to pray for sin. You know, dear God, help me to rob this person, and Lord, I pray that I do not get caught. I mean, nobody. I mean, most people aren't. I mean, it's not issues like that, right? It's not that they're praying to the wrong person, you know. Dear Buddha, you know, please. No, they're not doing that. They're not praying arrogantly. I mean, there are some wrong ways to pray. That's what I'm telling you. But for most guys, that's not the issue. You know what the issue is? I just don't know exactly what I'm supposed to say. So, what's the answer to that? Well, let's read this again. It says, All scriptures breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for, for correction, for training... In righteousness, listen, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Is praying, is praying with your family a good work? You bet it is. So, what does the Bible equip us to do, men of God? It equips us to pray. How does it do that? Man, this is the prayer book, okay? Here's what I encourage you to do. Guys, if you, if you struggle to pray with your family, pray out loud, pray with your brothers, Pick a book, book of the Bible. I would suggest Ephesians, just because everything's in it, okay? It's got all kinds of topics. And I would just take this book, and I would begin to let this book teach you how to pray, okay? Let me show you. Ephesians 4, we're going we're to start. I picked out a passage here. We're going to start in verse 22, okay? And I am just going to let this book teach me how to pray, and I'm going to pray, okay? Verse 22 says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. God, help me to put off my old man. Help me, Lord, not to buy into deceitful desires. Verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. God, please help me to be new in my mind. Help me to think new. Help me to think in a different way than I've always thought. Verse 24, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. God, help me to be a new man. God, help me to, to be a man that looks like you. That's in the likeness of God. Verse 25, therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak truth, speak the truth with his neighbor for we're members of one another. God, help me to be a guy who speaks truth. God, help me to, to not speak falsehood. Help me not to lie. Help me not to deceive people. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. God, help me to manage my anger right. Lord, when I am angry, God, help me to, to not sin in that. Help me to get rid of it quickly. Help me, Lord, not to let the sun go down on it. Uh, to reconcile quickly. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not bragging. That's a good prayer. You know why that's a good prayer? It's the Bible. You just pray in the Bible. Man, you can do that with anything, any topic. How do you pray for your wife? Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as the Lord. God, help my wife to to be submissive, to to, to figure that out. I know that's a hard thing. How do I pray for myself? Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How do I pray for my kids? Chapter 6, verse 1. Children obey your parents and the Lord. God help my kids to be obedient. Help them to respect authority. <clears throat> it's right there. You know what the you know what the book of Psalms are? <clears throat> Prayers. And you could take the entire. I mean, what is there, One hundred fifty of them. <clears throat> You've Got one hundred fifty of them. Every situation of life. Okay, so what what are we learning there? You want to know how to pray? Be equipped for a good work. This thing equips you. Okay? It equips you for everything. Fight against sin. How how did Jesus handle temptation, my friends? He quoted scripture. Did he not? Matthew 4, 4. Devil comes and tempts him. What's he do? He reaches into the scriptures. man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Right? Scriptures equip equip us for the mission of God. To love others. How do you love others? Bible. Bible, Bible, friends. We continually need this book. You know why it's living. Some of you've been a Christian for fifty years. You need to read your Bible desperately. You do. My wife read a book. It's called "What to Expect When You're Expecting." A book about pregnancy. She read it in 1993. She read it again in 1995. She read it again in 1999. <clears throat> she had it. I saw her have it out in 2003 and 2007. I don't know if she read the whole thing. She had it about memorized by then. I don't think she'll ever pick up that book again. You know why? She's kind of done with that season of her life. You will never be done with this. This dude's going to be chiseling on you the rest of your life. And aren't you glad it works that way? I mean, how, how would you like it, my friends, if God convicted you of every one of your sins in the first 60 seconds after your salvation? You'd be crushed. You'd be flat on the floor. <clears throat> you know what he does, though? He goes on the outside, doesn't he? He begins to convict you of this thing here, right? And then you, 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 you struggle, and, and you say yes, and you obey, and, and you get rid of that. And then what's next? There's a next layer in there. Then there's a next one, and the next one, and the next one. It's still happening to me. And it, it happened this week. And I need the Word of God to be victorious. I know you're busy. Maybe some of you, you're not on social media, you didn't even know what Facebook was. You work 400 hours a week at a job. You need this. And you will be incredibly sorry if you do not make this book your book. Man, get in it. Church, get in it. You cannot, you cannot afford not to be. You will not grow without this book. You will not be the people. We will not be the people God's called us to be without this book. Is it hard? Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Get some help. Get some help. But make it happen. Be a people of the book. It's God's word to you. Father, I just thank you so much for your Bible. God, it's precious to us. God, we love it. Forgive us, God, that we're we're working on such a low level, God. I pray that someday we would be like William Tyndall. We'd be willing to give our lives to read the Bible. We'd be willing to, to be burned at the stake so that our kids could have a copy. Make us men like that. Father, I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.